This is the Rubber Soul Panel Podcast, spotlighting the commentary used in the public radio documentary, Isn't It Good? The Beatles' Rubber Soul, an in-depth exploration of the Beatles' landmark 1965 album, Rubber Soul. The entire program can be heard on your public radio station if they carry it, feel free to ask them to, or online at the public radio exchange, prx.org. That's prx.org. I'm Paul Ingalls, host and producer of the show. If you signed up for our free podcast, we hope you enjoy it and at least stick around at its end to hear about how to make a tax-deductible donation to a nonprofit radio organization that produces a program we think the Beatles would have dug and that it explores peace and love. Copyright restrictions prevent us from using more than just a few seconds of Beatles music in this documentary work on the podcast, but obviously you can hear the music in this special online at the Public Radio Exchange, prx.org, or of course, on your own copy of Rubber Soul, available for purchase everywhere you'd expect. Here's this episode of the Rubber Soul Panel Podcast. Hi, I'm John Cruth. New York musician, leader of Tribekistan, a 10-piece world music ensemble, and um, author of quite a few books on music, including uh, my latest book, This Bird Has Flown, The Enduring Beauty of Rubber Soul. Well, my friend Mitch Blank, who is a Dylanologist, that's what he does for a living. He's a Dylanologist and um, and a collector of photographs and a really brilliant guy. Um, people have asked him over and over again, what is his favorite uh, Bob Dylan album? And he says, Rubber Soul. And I think that that's a hilarious, great, brilliant answer because there is no question that you watch Help and John's sitting on the couch with Eleanor Braun, and he's uh, playing, you know, Here I Stand with Head in Hand, and he sounds so much like Bob. I think that, that Dylan had an enormous effect on the Beatles at that point, particularly John. Hi again, Rob Martinez, musician and Beatle fan in Albuquerque, New Mexico. I think they, in a sense, defined that early to mid-60s pop rock sound. But I think they were also itching to move on. You know, John was listening to Bob Dylan. So was George, you know. And they were listening, saying, well, look at this guy's writing protest music. This guy's, uh, he's not so worried about melody all the time and hooks in his songs. He's, he's speaking from inside. And so you get that on Rubber Soul where they start saying, you know, I think that's the album where they say, let's start writing songs about our lives, about ourselves. My name is David Gans. I am a musician and a radio producer and a writer. Bob Dylan, in a way, I think, led the charge into what Ralph Gleason started referring to as adult rock and roll. Mm. The Beatles began as pop stars singing about juvenile mating rituals, like so much of pop music was in those days. And yearned to expand and deepen their thing. And I think Bob Dylan really opened that door for a lot of people. And, you know, there's the legend of the Beatles competing with the Beach Boys, you know. Uh, and imagine the game of can you top this among some of the great stars of the 60s, you know. And if Bob Dylan opened up the possibilities of doing more with acoustic guitars and more kind of dark adult themes, um, everybody benefited tremendously from it. I think the Beatles and Bob Dylan also um, 
were free to write about what they saw and they started seeing weird stuff. You become a pop star, you get a really different angle on life and you start meeting intense people and stuff. You know, I don't think it's a uh, mystery why so many of Bob Dylan's songs had this kind of hallucinatory quality in all of these intense characters, you know. That guy was at the center of this immense social, political, cultural vortex, you know, and so were the Beatles. So everybody and his brother is coming on to you and offering you this and asking you that. And and uh, it's it's not um, surprising at all that they that there's questioning works its way into the songwriting and stuff because, you know, there's a lot to think about. Hi again. I'm Ann Powers from NPR Music. You can see each player in the Beatles uh, coming into his own space of, like, what makes me, uh, what is my essence, what what makes me meaningful in this group. You know, you have George Harrison uh, emerging with songs uh, like Think for Yourself and If I Needed Someone and developing that sound that, that would become identified with him, that he's not quite leaning toward the East yet, but definitely a different sound. Hi, it's Sean Colvin, singer-songwriter from Austin, Texas. I mean, there's a picture here. Look, George is in jeans with a piece of straw, you know, sticking out of his mouth and a cowboy hat. I mean, there's just something different going on here. Um, it's, you know, that, that picture reminds me of a band record, you know, um, you know, the band. And uh, I don't know. They were they were changing. George Harrison said uh, the Beatles saved the world from boredom. And I really believe that at the time between between the Stones and Dylan and, and, and the Beatles, it was such a fantastic time to be a kid with a transistor radio. And if you were paying any attention to what was going on from record to record and how these ideas were changing and building, <laughs> you know, it happened so fast. When you look back at it, they were making at least two albums, sometimes three albums in a year. And how many 45s in a year? I am Scott Fryman. I am a Beatleologist, and I do lectures that I call Deconstructing the Beatles, where we talk about the creative process of the Beatles, how they wrote their music, and how they worked in the studio. Well, McCartney says, that's where I became an adult, worked with the rubber soul. And you can really see it. All of a sudden, they're starting to talk about more mature things. They're starting to be more sophisticated in their music. But the other thing that to keep in mind here is that you've got groups like The Who with My Generation, uh, Animals, We've Got to Get Out of This Place. Uh, of course, Dylan writing Like a Rolling Stone. These are songs which are, which are political. These are songs which are uh, throwing down the gauntlet of, you know, we're not going to take it anymore. We're, we're, we're different. We're teenagers. We're, uh, we don't like what you guys are doing. That was something which was very far into most of the Beatles' writing. And you would never say Rubber Soul was a political album. I don't think it became a political album, but certainly the idea that uh, they had to get away from she loves you, she doesn't love you, <laughs> he loves her, but I really love him, and whatever. Uh, that stuff had to go by the wayside. And the next album they would do, Revolver, you really don't have any love songs other than Here, There, and Everywhere. Every other song is about the mind or about taxes or about drugs. Uh, you don't have love songs or getting away from love songs. And you could argue Sgt. Pepper was very similar. So uh, certainly 
looking at these groups that were going more political, talking more about the generation gap uh, in a, in a, in a, maybe not so subtle way, it was changing what the Beatles were writing lyrics about. I, I think Rubber Soul is definitely a tilt in that kind of skeptical direction of the Beatles saying, you know, we, we're, we're ready to be taken seriously. Enough of, the, enough of this uh, poppy uh, boy meets girl stuff. Um, we, we can do better. And uh, we were damn good, but we can do better. Hello, this is Harvey Kubernick, and I'm the author of Turn Up the Radio, Rock, Pop, and Roll in Los Angeles, 1956 to 1972. So you have tender love, you have harsh love, you have durable love, you have dismissal love. Um, you don't quite have women's names except for Michelle, which was probably just a generalist name. I don't know if there really was a woman named Michelle, but they're not... I love you, you love me songs. They're songs of renewal and songs of dismissal. Very, very curt and direct that you weren't getting in traditional pop and rock songs. Remember, context is key. We're talking 1965. We're talking 50 years ago. This is the album where uh, I think they're kind of coming around that corner. What are we going to do next? Um, clearly they weren't lost. <laughs> uh, they were uh, doing some amazing things, um, an amazing album, uh, Rubber Soul. Hi again, it's uh, composer B.J. Lederman back with you. John Lennon's voice, I think, was in the period there at, at its peak. It sort of had that ragged edge happening, but it wasn't you know, blown out and thin yet. It's just, it's the voice that I actually uh, aimed to imitate when I was singing. And, you know, sadly, it's, it's what I still sound like when I'm singing and sometimes talking, you know. I think John Lennon, um, you know, had quite a range vocally and gave McCartney a, a run for his money on vocals. And they, they both, I mean, you can comp compare different uh, songs or different parts of different songs. And, you know, McCartney's got his screamers, you know, with um, Helter Skelter and songs like that, and um, Lennon's got his screamers early on and even later before he, you know, pretty much, I think, you know, wrecked his voice by screaming, but he could still sound um, very intimate and beautiful, uh, even, you know, toward the end there in Sgt. Pepper with uh, Day in the Life. There's that little smoky edge, but it's, it's like he's cradling you, you know, with loving care, <laughs> in his arms with his vocal you're just floating on his cloud it's 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 an, it's just wonderful john just had that voice you know i don't know if technically it was a great voice but for rock it might have been the greatest voice in rock for my money because it just cut through it just cut through in august 65 the help soundtrack comes out you know the following christmas we have rubber soul a whole album coming out. I mean, just think about uh, touring and the, the Help album, you know, which becomes a movie. Rubber Soul didn't need a movie to accompany it. Rubber Soul was a movie. The album Rubber Soul was filmic. It was you didn't it didn't be it didn't need to be attached to any kind of of film event. It's the last album that Norman Smith engineered for the Beatles before he decided 
uh, out of EMI, decided to be a um, record producer and then discovered and produced the first couple of Pink Floyd albums. So Norman Smith was with the group from 1962 to 65, and he instigated some, if not radical shifts, some very important um, uh, things in the recording and the documentation of the Beatles' music, whether it be microphone placement and things like that. Um, he was dealing in a very rigid corporate atmosphere of old England at the time and in a studio that had classical music and stuff like that. So, you know, he would start bringing things in like a, like Rubber Soul, a sitar is recorded on like a rock album for like the first time. And you start hearing some Indian instruments and a lot of percussion. So Norman Smith's imprint as sound engineer often gets overlooked, but you realize that he changed the Beatles' sonic freeway, the sonic highway on every album. Like with the first album, he recorded them in the middle of the room as a group thing, much to, to remind people it was what they sounded like in a concert or club setting. Sometimes there were no baffles like on the earlier Beatle recordings. By Rubber Soul, the studio is becoming another member of the band. It's a real big part of it, which further goes into, you know, Revolver and Sgt. Pepper and so on. So I think Norman Smith, working closely with George Martin, things are being instigated on that album like George Martin, you know, playing a piano, speeded up half tone for, for and dropped in the middle of In My Life. So you get all kinds of interesting little sounds going on. Um, and it's really obvious when you hear um, the new menorah pressing of Rubber Soul, just uh, how strong and firm that that whole album is, especially when you listen to it in mono, which is the way the bands and the people and the Beatles themselves wanted you initially to hear their catalog. We listened to this record hundreds of times because every song on it is just a work of genius, you know. And you don't have to be a musicologist to recognize that. And the, the range of stuff, Norwegian Wood, Michelle, The Word, you know, it rocked. It had beautiful ballads. It had In My Life. I mean, you know, there's just classics, one classic after another on this record. Hi again, this is John Spurney. I'm a musician and composer from New York City. And I think people forget that the whole concept of an album in 1965 was basically your two hit singles and then some filler, you know, covers, quick knockoffs uh, to just get product into the stores and to get people to, to pay, you know, who want to get people who wanted the single to pay more money and buy an LP. And um, I think what the great thing about Rubber Soul is that it's just a super solid collection of new songs. So Rubber Soul feels like grown-ups and it feels like uh challenging the kids that who were the Beatles audience to be grown-ups. Peter Mulvey is a singer-songwriter from Milwaukee, Wisconsin. Rubber Soul is the middle of the story. They're done discovering, you know, they they they're done discovering the basics of their form. They know it, they've got it, you know, they've played a million gigs and they've decided to abandon live performance and they decided to just plunge into writing songs and creating these, you know, the album, which obviously to us is a form, but it's worth mentioning that they just made it up utterly, utterly spectacularly. 
Uh, and now they're just in the grist of it. They're just working. Uh, honestly, <laughs> it reminds me of the middle book of The Lord of the Rings, which I think is the best book, The Two Towers, where all the stuff happens. And again, the middle of the Star Wars trilogy, and I'm, by the way, ignoring the second trilogy entirely, but, you know, The Empire Strikes Back, the, the sort of, all right, we've established our setting, we've established what the hell is going on. Now we are going to grind out the details and really dig in. And to me, I think uh, Rubber Soul and Revolver are uh, both a part of that. Pretty much all the Beatles records, certainly the power of Rubber Soul is that, that decades and decades later, you can actually sit down with a guitar and your voice and go over it and go and discover something. There's, it, there's so much packed into it. You can always learn something new about the Beatles. It's kind of like baseball. Every season when you listen to baseball, you will hear somebody say, wow, I have never seen that before. And the Beatles have actually created something like baseball, like chess. It's, it's actually pretty simple in all, in all three cases, baseball, chess, and the Beatles. It's a pretty simple system. We're going to use pop music, but we're going to uh, invest it with a certain spirit, and we're going to be very good at melody and especially the arrangement of harmony in fresh and unexpected ways. And in a way, that reminds me of chess and that reminds me of baseball. Rubber Soul being a transitional record, or if you think of it as, as turning a corner, um, there are these songs, so many of these songs can be read more than one way. There's just a way that the songs have a little more uh, self-conscious weight to them. If you look at what else was going on besides the Beatles, right, there was, there was competition brewing really for the first time, I think, since the Beatles started. Um, most of the music that had been out there that was rock and roll had been c copying what the Beatles were doing. And all of a sudden now, in 65, you really start to see a lot more innovation coming from other places, the Who and the Birds, and certainly Dylan doing... Um, uh, uh, continuing to be innovative. And I think the Beatles always prided themselves on being one step ahead of everyone else from their early days in Hamburg. And that really pushed them here. So they had, they had this pressure of getting an album done in 30 days. They had the pressure of what else was going on. They didn't want to fall on their face. If you're digging the podcast, we're going to ask you to visit another site online to show your appreciation. And that's peacetalksradio.com peacetalksradio.com and consider making a tax-deductible donation in any amount to help support another radio program that explores peace and love. It's the only series about peacemaking and nonviolent conflict resolution. Let me be clear that the Beatles have not endorsed it formally, although we once got an email from Ringo Starr's management complimenting us on the work, and Yoko Ono was interviewed for a Peace Talks radio episode about her and John's peace work. So it's a good project to help to show your appreciation for this free podcast. Again, visit peacetalksradio.com and consider making a donation. And enjoy the rest of the series, The Rubber Soul Panel Podcast. I'm Paul Ingalls.